Um, I wanted to uh, let you know that uh, John Miller, who uh, is a guy I've met at, through some of the church planning places and conferences I've gone to, they're launching their church. It's a Wesleyan church in uh, Speedway, Indiana, this morning, first service, and that's a big deal. So I wonder if you'd just mind if we just uh, stopped for a second and prayed for this church as they launch this morning. So let's pray. You pray on your own, and I'll uh, lead us up here. Father, we just thank you for uh, John, the vision you placed on his heart. But Lord, we know like it's a conglomerate of a lot of people you brought to the table. And uh, the, the, to get to the point where you launch and you have your first service, it means a lot of planning, a lot of preview services, uh, a lot of praying that went into this moment this morning. And so, Father, we're just praying a blessing on their time. We're praying that, that we, people would come and they would engage in your kingdom there. But, Father, we're actually praying specifically that not just people would come from other churches who said, hey, we're looking for something different, but, Lord, you would draw people who don't know you as their Savior. You would draw people, Lord, that have not been in your house in a long time, and they would come into this new work in your kingdom and they would be blessed, and they'd be challenged, Lord, and their lives would be transformed and changed. And we just pray that uh, on this church this morning, Lord, Way City uh, Church in, in Speedway. Father, thank you for, uh, for the pl church planning effort, and we pray it would continue in other areas. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Uh, another buddy of mine uh, launches their church in two weeks, two weeks from today on the 29th, so we'll kind of... Uh, come back at that and pray for him on that week. But could you be praying this week? Because uh, a launch service is usually the easy service. It's a lot of work goes into it, but it's usually pretty easy to launch. It's week two that you start to see who are we, what's really going to go on, who's plugged in, and you start going from there. So you kind of have this, boom, and then you start growing. So be praying for that uh, this week, uh, Way City Church. So, sound good? All right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, <laughs> we're going to be looking at this uh, passage uh, that I think many of you know to some degree, uh, um, but let me just uh, nonetheless walk through what I think Paul is really getting at. And so, if you got in here and didn't get sermon notes, if you would, just slip up your hand. Uh, we have Chris Lawson filling in for Pastor Anson, uh, bringing these to you, so he is revved up and excited uh, for that. How many of you remember a little radio broadcast called The Rest of the Story by Paul Harvey? Um, yeah, if you're over 40, you're like, yeah, I remember that, you know? If you're like 60, you're like, yeah, that was my favorite. If you're under 40, you're like, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. What well, actually started uh, late around uh, World War II days uh, that this, this broadcast started on, uh, it was part of a newscast, and Paul Harvey would come on and he would share. Now, I'll tell you what it's about if you don't know. Uh, basically, he would take a story that you might have some knowledge of. You'd know a bit about it. Maybe you knew the headline. Um, but as he started to unfold and share the story, he would start to introduce uh, little tidbits and innuendos and facts about the story that would actually expand your understanding of what was going on in the story, and it would just suck you right in, and you would want to hear more and more about this. And then when he came to the end, he would always just share some little interesting thing that would make you go, oh, that's what was going on in the story. And of course, just when he got you to that point, he would finish it off with his famous line, and now you know the rest of the story. Well, this morning, I want to share with you a passage in Scripture, and I want to share with you the rest of the story. You see, this passage that's in your notes this morning, it says, look, wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. 
And often we have taken a passage like this, and even in the Protestant church, we've taken this, and we've actually, we've actually used it, I think, against the way God intended this to use. See, I think what we've done sometimes is we've inadvertently taken just the passage. We didn't mean to do this, but we took just the passage, just what I just read like there, and we said, look, here's the hierarchy that God puts in place. Male husband up here. He must be the one with all the wisdom and insight and knowledge because God wants him to make all the decisions and to lead. And then the woman down here, you know, she must be weaker or less intelligent or can't quite make the same decision, so she submits and hears from him. Again, we don't mean to do that necessarily. Maybe some do, you know. But that's this hierarchy we've kind of created in our head. Can I just tell you this morning... As we walk through this and we talk through the passage and how it correlates with God's word, there is a rest of the story. There's more that God has shared about this. And when Paul finally gets to this point where he talks about what we just said, there's a different understanding of what Paul is trying to speak and share with us. So let me just share with you first in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, in your notes this morning, it starts in verse 21. Let me read to you, if you would just kind of sit and listen, what comes before that so you understand where Paul is coming from. He says this, verse 15 of the same chapter. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but of wise. How your behavior and how you live as a believer in Christ is very important to Paul. Right? So if you, if, you, like, if you live your life with just like, you know, God understands, he knows my heart, you know, the grace of God abounds and those type of things, and, and inadvertent, you're like, that means however I live, whatever. Paul would say, ah, no, how you live is very important to being a believer in Jesus Christ. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, a very interesting verse comes after this that goes right in the middle of it. He says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, uh, obviously, this was grabbed on heavy in the holiness movement of the late 1800s, this verse right here. Especially, it was in conjunction with the expansion of the U.S. and on the frontiers, we had the kind of the carousing of the saloon and the brothels and that type of thing. And then the holiest movement came into play. And this was a virtue we attached to. Don't get drunk on wine. That moved into don't drinking and, and, and this type of stuff. And the temperance movement was going on as well. And so all of this worked together. But here's what we do inadvertently. We camp out on a verse like this. And so we talk about it in terms of, you see, you shouldn't get drunk on one. It says right here, you shouldn't be drunk. Now, I certainly agree with that. We get four more times in the New Testament, uh, mainly with Paul, where Paul says, look, bad idea, right, to abuse alcohol in this way. Nothing good comes from it. But can I tell you this morning, that's not what Paul is getting at. What Paul really wants you to understand is this. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Why? You know what it's like, right? You know what it does to you when you've had too much alcohol. Like you say things you wouldn't say otherwise, you behave in a way that you wouldn't behave otherwise, right? You might cause harm that you otherwise would not cause harm, right? So like Paul is saying, look, you know what it's like when you're under the control of alcohol. I've got a better way. Notice what he says right after that. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You see, Paul's not making a great declaration here uh, that simply is about not getting drunk, though he believes that. He's making a a declaration that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, like everything that you would do under alcohol, that you would be negative or abusive, he would say the Holy Spirit actually brings the positive in your life when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Live your life in the Spirit. And this Spirit will actually lead you into behavior that you otherwise wouldn't do. It would leave you to say things you otherwise wouldn't do. It will leave you into blessing and encouragement to other people that you may not otherwise do. That's what Paul is getting at here. And so when he finishes that, now he's going to go in and say, let me give you some real practical ways. He says, look, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that will cause you, look right away, he says, speaking to others, to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Now, I was thinking about that. If we were to go around speaking in hymns, I don't know if that's like a singing out. It's really bad news for musical ability like me if we were to have to go around and sing our praises like that. Uh, He's talking about how we praise and comfort and lift up and encourage one another. He says, sing and make music in your, in, with the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. And then this verse, submit to, the one, to one another out of reverence of Christ. Now, if you look at that and you just say, hey, I really just want to look at it in Greek, the original language, how it was written here, this is what you would see. You would see him saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs singing and making music with your heart, always giving thanks to God. And then when we get to verse 21, the exact same tense is used in the Greek language, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, period. Now, there wouldn't have been a period there, but it would have been understanding that would have been the end. Speaking, singing, making music, giving, submitting. What Paul is saying here is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit... This is what we do. These are some of the characteristics. These are some of the actions that will flow out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice the last one. He says, we submit to who? To one another. Out of reverence for Christ. He said, look, we submit to one another because of who Christ is. And who Christ is in our life and what Christ done, we would submit to one another another. Here's my guess. In all the years that you've read this passage, of all the years that's been preached on, where it says, wives submit to your husband, husbands love the church, you have not started most often with this passage, submit to one another as in Christ, as in reverence for Christ. That is Paul's overarching thing. This is not a passage that begins about how a husband and wife should interact as the main focus. This is a passage about being filled with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit leads us to behave and interact with one another. So that's the context. That's the rest of the story to this point. So let's just jump in and read the passage we're going to walk through, and then we'll do that. We'll just walk through it. Here's what it says, verse 21, submit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also some wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." Now, there's so much in this passage that we could probably just put on a, you know, a, a teaching every day this week, and you just come for a few hours, and we'll just work through it the whole week. Anybody game for that? Okay, I don't see too many hands, so uh, I thought that would be the case. So what I'm going to do is I want to pull out what I really feel like is the key overall thing Paul is trying to teach us this morning uh, for the next 20 or so minutes, and then I'm going to trust that you're going to take this and you're going to dive into God's word on your own. Because you could walk away this morning and go, man, right on. You know, I really appreciate that opening of the word. You could dive into this and hear this this morning and go, nah, I don't think so. You know, I'll go with another commentary uh, on that. But what you got to do either way is get into God's word on your own and study this and look through it this week. We'd be happy to to lead you in any helps uh, that you might need this week. So let's just walk through this. Uh, this morning. First thing that he says here is submit or submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what being filled with the Holy Spirit leads us to do, submitting to one another. You see, in our uh, American culture, I think today, uh, we view submitting maybe differently. You know, we might view submitting as, you know, there is this, this head boss or this head authority. Maybe it's a dictatorial type of authority. And my submission is I cower beneath that, you know, saying, yes, yes, yes. Like we have this picture to varying degrees of kind of that being submit. So the word submit uh, often is like bad term. That's negative. I don't want to say I submit to anything, right? But obviously, this is clearly part of what God teaches, what he teaches us to do. So what is he getting at here? Paul is actually giving an umbrella to what submitting is here. Paul is saying, look, this umbrella here of submitting, there's so many things that fall under that, that if we would actually walk through this the way God intended us to live, we would actually see submitting is not negative at all. Submitting is actually vital to how we interact with one another and how we would love one another. Now, he's going to first off talk about husbands and wives, but he gives many more examples in this passage all the way through. We're going to talk two weeks about this when it says, children, honor and obey your mother and father, and it'll go well with you. Parents are like, yeah, right on, right? And then it says, uh, parents, don't exasperate your children, you know, as well. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But Paul first hits on this. It's an umbrella to how we live in Christ. And there's this submitting. There's this interaction of how we surrender our own will in this interaction. Mark 12 says it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. What is he getting at there? Look, you've got to love him with everything. Everything. Like that means like, like what your passions are, your passions are for the Lord. Like what your actions, how you speak, how you think, it's all the way that we love God. 
Listen, I realize in the church world we have uh, uh, kind of boiled the word worship down to when we sing, it's the 20 minutes of singing, you know, and even people that sing know that's not the case. It's just a term that's used. When we see what God's word says about worship, it is all-encompassing. It is everything. And it's, it's so wonderful that God invites everyone to know Jesus Christ. But those who stick with Christ are the ones that surrender fully. In fact, God's word teaches us that, the full surrender here. And so what we find here is that we love God and follow God with everything. But he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than this. That The second is that we would actually love someone else the way I love myself. I don't see how you cannot find submitting in loving someone the way I love myself. I think fairly highly of myself in some situations, right? Not so much in athletic endeavors anymore uh, at my age, but there's other ways I think, you know, I take care of myself. I think of myself. I spend a lot of time working on myself, and then I would turn around and do that for my neighbor, for someone else. Submitting is involved right in the middle of that. Here's the key to understanding what Paul is going to talk about in the rest of the passage. It's this term mutual submission. It's mutual submission. It means, I, in a form, relationally, I submit to you and you submit to me. Husbands, there's a form where you submit to your wife and wives a way that you submit to your husbands. Well, this is how healthy relationships work. And so let's just jump into uh, the meat of the passage here. First, he says this, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, I want to let you know right off as we read this, we are egalitarian church. What does that mean? That means we believe in the value, in the equal value of men and women. In fact, when we scale it all the way back to the, the book of Genesis and we see creation, we see God is creating of equal value. It's the fall that messed with this value. It's then manipulation of culture at time, which has actually created more of a devalued system. But God valued, and he created that way. Today, as we look at God's word, we see that it was even Paul himself that ordained women to be deacons in the church. Phoebe would be one example. And so we ordain women as well. You might say, yeah, I'm all for that. They can go down the hall and teach the kids, right? You know, Or maybe lead a women's Bible study. No, you got to understand what we're saying. Like full ordination to teach and to preach and I know a couple of you are like, hey, but there's that one passage here or there. I'd love to sit down and talk with you about that passage. We can do coffee. It's on me, right, to sit and talk with you uh, about those passages so they understand why we would value women uh, so highly. You need to understand this is being written in a culture that did not have this value in the slightest. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying they had men here and women a little notch below it. I mean they had men as authority and women were afterthoughts. Women had value according to their husband. There's so many times what we found here is that when a, a wife actually, the husband passed away or divorced her, she had no value in society. In fact, it's the church himself and why it's so clear in the New Testament that the church is supposed to take care of widows because no one was taking care of widows. No one was taking in widows. No one was taking in orphans. This was a job of the church, and God called us to do that. 
So tremendous value to women in this day, in this age, coming out of, of God's word, but not so much coming out of the culture. Paul is speaking into that. So he says here, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. I think if Paul was playing along with cultural lines of the day, he would have simply said, wives, submit yourself to the husband, period. But that's not what he says. He says, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. And I looked at this and I tried to process the last three weeks or so as I've been working on this. What does that mean, as to the Lord? How do I submit as to the Lord? The two things that rang loud and clear as I look through this word is I submit to Christ in love. Like I find I fall in love with Christ and who he is and what he's about. And when I love somebody, there's naturally submission that falls into that. But then I fall in trust with Christ as well, that I trust who he is, what he's bringing to my life, what he's teaching me as well. And so I'm able to submit in trust. Now, here's what we think sometimes. Oh, well, does that mean I need to just trust my husband when you know, he says I need to do this when I know that's not what God's word would have to say? Not at all. In fact, there is a subtle assumption that comes through this passage. The assumption is this. Men, are you ready for this? The assumption is that the husband is already submitted to God fully. As Paul's teaching this to wives, the assumption as he's teaching, this is to the church, that the husband is submitted to God. And then he says, wives, you submit to that. The person that your husband has become, the person in God, he is fully surrendered to God in love, in trust of Christ. That's what you're submitting to. That's what you're following there. And in any situation, why would I not want to submit and be in that kind of partnership with somebody who is embedded and surrendered fully to Christ? I will tell you most practically the way I see this work out, men, is I see men who are not submitted to Christ. They're not surrendered. And yet they want to use biblical authority, as they might say it, of a passage like this that my wife or family might need to do what I say. And Paul would be saying, you're missing the whole point of this mutual submission. This mutual submission begins with full surrender and submission to the Lord. Then within that, a wife submits, a husband submits, and it follows through. That's the assumption Paul goes off of. And then he, fall, he keeps going. He says, look, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And, of course, the question would be, well, how is Christ the head of the church? Now, some of you have worked in business a long time, so you understand uh, kind of the common business model. They're not all like this, but the common business would be a CEO, right? Somebody who's at the top, and they kind of hand down, or maybe there's a board that processes decisions and vision, and they hand that down for everyone to do. There's an issue in the workplace, and somebody creates policy then to spread down through the workplace, and on and on and on, a company would work like that. Here would be my question for you. When you think of how Christ is the head of the church, do you picture a president or CEO? Does that the kind of leadership structure and model you picture? In fact, sometimes in the church world, uh, in our new contemporary style of leading churches, especially mega churches, we have adopted a very CEO-type leadership structure in churches. When you think of Jesus, though, is that the picture you get of Jesus? 
See, the picture I see of Jesus is a story that's told in the Gospels where Jesus takes a water basin and a rag and starts to wipe and clean the disciples' feet. No, 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 don't clean my feet. You know, you're, you're above that, Jesus. And Jesus, we actually get one of those couple times where he rebukes them and says, I have to do this. This is what I came to do. That's the picture. How is Christ the head of the church? Does he force decisions upon us? I don't think so. I don't see it that way. Does he force behaviors from the way he teaches us to live? I don't even see him forcing behavior, even though he teaches us about better life. What does he do? He's the example. That's how Christ leads the church. He is the example of how we ought to live. And listen, this morning, especially men, if you're sitting here and you're, you've dwelled on this passage or you've had a hierarchy in your type of thinking of how it works, and you're not in touch with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels that teach about how Christ was an example, then I'm telling you right now, you're missing the mark. Because what Paul is getting at is Jesus was the example, the head of the church by his example. And we are to be that example as well, to live out that type of example. Now, wives, does this mean you don't have to live out an example? Well, Clearly, that's not the case as well. We just have to expand into other passages in the New Testament, the gospel. Every believer is called to be an example of Christ, to live like Christ did, to love like Christ did. But Paul is putting it in this moment in the context of marriage and saying, men, if you have any leadership role, you got to be an example of exactly what Christ did. Men, I hope that convicts your hearts this morning. I hope you would go away and say, I've got some digging to do. There's some transformation. God is still wanting to work in my life. That's the direction. That's the arrow to walk. Then he goes on. He says this to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember I said mutual submission. Well, here's how this works. Ask the question, how did Christ love the church? How did he love the church? Now, I've been married, uh, you know, 23 years. I've known Shri 24 years. And uh, I can tell you, I love my wife, love her. But where it really plays out, like where you really could prove that love is by what I do. Like if you looked and said, what, well, what do you really do for your wife? Or, you know, how do you interact with her? How do you care for her? How do you treat her? How do you speak of her? If you were to take all 23 years together, which that's a, there's a lot of material there, and you were to say, yeah, yeah, he loves her. I can see it. I, I can see how that plays out. You see, love is tied to what we do. It was, of course, the great theologian, if you're uh, my age around, uh, Toby Mack, who once said, love, love, love is a verb. Um, that's about as much as I'll sing to you this morning. You can look it up, my old DC talk song. But Paul believes this. He speaks this throughout his word that what we do when we say love, we can have a belief system of love or we can act out our love. And Paul is saying, what are you doing to show love? So how did Christ love the church? Well, he submitted to the Father. We find that, that Christ submitted to God follow through, led. In fact, Jesus actually one point said, it's not my words I speak, but the words of my Father. 
Jesus in the garden said, Lord, I don't really want to go to the cross, but not my will, but your will be done. There was a submission and following of how God was leaving. Why? Because of God's pure and perfect will, as Paul describes it. And Jesus wanted to be right in touch with that. And then the big one, of course, Christ gave himself up for the church. Sacrifice, gave him all. Do you remember the little story of him going to the cross and dying on the cross? You see, Jesus was willing to go all in fully. And when we get this picture, you can understand now this mutual submission that a husband would be willing to go all in, whatever, to show love to his spouse. Like, like all in, fully. There's a challenge in that, man. Because I think for us sometimes, what we want is we want to claim something. We want to claim that we get something here before we are something. And what Paul is saying is, no, this is how it works. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit is leading your life, and you're in full surrender to God, like it motivates and directs your love for someone else. It motivates and directs your love for your spouse. And if we're not in that type of relationship and that type of surrender before God and loving our wives with the action, the way love, God, Christ loved the church and gave himself up, then really, man, can I just say we're sacrificing what we think we're entitled to. In fact, men, this is how I'd say it. If you're not obedient to God, you lose your leadership role. It's the bottom line. I sit with so many men sometimes who want to claim this leadership role without the surrendering before God. And Paul's just saying, look, it won't work. All you'll have is dysfunctional relationship. Mutual submission and how we submit and love one another. Here's a takeaway this morning. Marriage is less about compromise and more about mutual submission. Well, what's compromise? Compromise is like, all right, I guess I'll give here. I don't like it, but I guess I'll give. You know, Sheree wants to eat at 7 o'clock. I prefer to eat at 5 o'clock. I guess we'll eat at 6. You know, we'll just figure it out. You know, that's compromise. It happens sometimes, you know, right? In marriage, you got to have that sometimes. You want to go to Mexican food. You know, they want to go to Italian. I don't know what you figure out in the middle there, but, uh, you know, I don't know, spaghetti tacos or something you figure out. Compromise in the middle. It's more about mutual submission. Why? Because mutual compromise often starts with me. Like, what do I want, and how much am I willing to give up of what I want? Mutual submission always starts with the other person. Who are they? What are they after? What makes them tick? What motivates them into what they want? I want to understand that. Now, every once in a while, myself or my spouse might have those type of things and be off kilter. Well, then it opens up to me to say, well, let's, let's talk about why. Like, why you want that or where you're coming from. Mutual submission starts with the other person. Here's the second thing. We don't submit to one another out of reverence for one another. You might say, well, what, what do you mean? You know, we don't submit out of reverence for one another. Like, we don't submit to each other because we really love each other. You'd say, well, I don't understand. That's kind of how marriage is supposed to work, isn't it? Look, you look through God's word. Just read through the New Testament, right? Jesus talks. Other people that listen to Jesus, they pick up on it. and They write letters to the church, right? 
You listen to them, and you're not going to find this loving of one another because I just love them. It's almost always tied to Christ. We don't submit to one another out of reverence for one another, but because of what Christ did, because of Christ's love. It's like Paul is saying this. Look, you will only understand how to submit to one another and how to love each other when you understand how Christ loved you, how Jesus lived out. In fact, I've shared with you before, I went through a whole sermon series. If you would just open up to Matthew chapter 5 and you would read the Sermon on the Mount, you would walk away going, oh, that's how I'm supposed to love. Okay, I'm going to put that into practice in my life. And you're going to see how this mutual submission works out because of how Christ loved. Here's the last question this morning. Is there more to this passage? Yeah, there's a ton more to this passage. And I encourage you to study it and look at it. It won't change the outcome of what we're talking about this morning and how mutual submission is so key. But I'll actually start to expand this love one another thing. In fact, if we read more, we'll find out we're supposed to be devoted to one another, accept one another, serve one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, and 26 other one another's in the New Testament. And they're almost always tied back to Christ, as Christ did, in reverence for Christ, because of our love for Christ. They're almost always tied back to Christ. This is how we're supposed to live in any context, but husbands and wives, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to interact with one another, with this mutual submission. It's as if Paul, in all his writings and all of his one another's, he is saying, look, why don't you try to out one another one another? And you'll probably be living pretty good if you do that, because that's how Christ leads us. As Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Let me pray for you. Father, I just uh, know that for many people, uh, marriage is, is such a touchy subject. Lord, for many people, they're right at the edge of saying, you know, like, this is just not working out, or I'm starting to process if this is the relationship I want to be in. And Father, we understand that as Paul is even writing here, and as Christ wrote, or he actually shared, that the understanding is that the way it works is if both would surrender fully to you. And in that, understand how to love each other. And that's so difficult when it may just be one, or certainly if there's none. But Father, it always starts with one. And so Father, I want to pray this morning that if there be anyone in here in their marriage context, their first thought would not be, I wish my husband would do this. I wish my wife would do this, what was talked about. If they would say, it starts with me, how then do I? enter into this relationship of, of, of love that has mutual submission to it? How do I love my spouse in that way? Interact with my spouse? Lord, above any of that, the first question is, how do I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Listen, if you're here this morning and you're like, hey, I've been around this Christian stuff for a long time, and I would not describe my life at all filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to just invite you this morning in a new starting place to just say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender. 
there's this mysterious interaction that God's word teaches us of your action in the engagement of the Holy Spirit in your life. So would you enter into that? God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. This is how I commit. This is where I'm going to make changes and transformation. And then the supernatural of the Holy Spirit will meet you in that and walk with you. It's not just your guide, but your empowerment. And if that's you, even right now as I'm talking, just surrender once again your life to Christ. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, heal any marriage that needs to be healed in here. Bring restoration. Lord, if there's any husband and wife sitting here that this is what they need to hear and this is where they need to start, Lord, would now be the time. And we'll trust you for testimony. More testimonies as we've heard some over the years of healed marriages would we hear more beginning today, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Well, listen, I know this is a touchy subject for some of you, um, and where I've seen for, for years is couples will get impacted, and the Lord will speak to them in a certain way, and they'll kind of make this one step out to say, I'd like to talk about this, or, or maybe one of the two says, I want to talk about this, and, and uh, that happens either with myself or, you know, a Christian counselor or that type of thing. Um, and then we often understand how hard it is to keep walking through that. I want to encourage you this morning, the best step is that first step. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm not uh, uh, like a, a, a therapeutic counselor. Don't pretend to be that. Um, I offer the biblical advice God has shared with me. So what I'd love to do is just meet with you, and then um, as we talk and I understand what's going on, uh, I usually say, hey, I have this person I'd like you to go sit down with and talk to you, always Christian counselors. Um, but I'd love for you to take the starting point. And so if for you, you just want to sit down and talk and start walking down this road to reconciliation in your marriage, please on your card, either write marriage on there or just write marriage and bring it up to me direct and hand it to me and I'll understand that's going to be personal between you and I if you want to do it that way. But uh, I'd love for you to start down that path to, to healthy marriage today um, would, be, would be best. Anything else that's going on that you want prayer for, just use the card uh, in that way. And uh, we'd love to be praying for you this week. Uh, the staff, the men on Wednesday night pray for things uh, as well. And so uh, we encourage you, let us know so we can be lifting you up in, in prayer this week, anything that's going on. Well, let me highlight a couple things that are happening. As you know, this Friday night is our Wendy's Award. It is here. And so uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Starting tomorrow, we're going to transform this place into like a banquet hall with tables and decorations and whatever else that type of thing is going on. It's going to be great. So Friday night, I hope you mark that 7 o'clock uh, to be here and be a part of that. Whether you volunteer or don't volunteer, we want you here. In fact, early this morning, I looked on somebody's Facebook from the church and they had posted about it. And somebody that I don't know, doesn't go to our church, said, hey, that sounds fun. And the person came back and said, hey, why don't you come? And I was like, hmm, you know. And I thought, why not? Why not? If this is the event that somebody in your life would be impacted with to come and be invited to and to engage in this type of community, please do it. Invite on, on uh, Friday night, and, and that'll be great too. But uh, it's for everyone, 7 o'clock. We'll feed you. Dress up a little bit. We're, uh, you know, we're looking for... For a little bit of dress up. You don't have to wear a tux, so Chris is already committed to the tux. We're looking forward to that. Um, 
But uh, you just, just wear something nice that you think's nice and, and come out that, that night. We've got a red carpet, a photo booth, uh, all kinds of, of great stuff uh, that night. And uh, the, the awards themselves are creative and fun. And then we'll offer our, our Volunteer of the Year award, not to make one person greater than anyone else, but just celebrate one person who maybe has, has uh, uh, just gone above and beyond this year. So, uh, and then uh, two weeks from now is our combined service, uh, one service, 1030 baptism service. We've got two of our kids being baptized uh, that said yes to Christ at camp this summer. So we're really looking forward to that. Now, we, uh, you notice we had a baby dedication last week. We don't baptize infants. We wait till uh, an age when they have said yes to Christ themselves. And then the parents feel like their, their child has understood the commitment. And that's when we baptize. So um, we'll do that in two weeks from today. If you have said yes to Christ and you've never been baptized, we would love to do that. Uh, just use your card and write baptism on it, and, uh, and I'll get in touch with you right away. And then the Sunday after that, October 6th, boy, we've got a lot coming up the next few weeks, uh, Church in the Grass. So 1030, City Lake Park, uh, be a blast that day. It is the best day to invite someone. It's the easiest invite to invite people to come out to Church in the Park. Um, so a church in the grass, excuse me, at the park. I don't know what we're calling it. You come out, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be great. So, but you can bring blankets. You can bring chairs to sit on. You can bring your dog that week. You can just, it's a great uh, service to come out uh, that if your dog doesn't get along with other dogs, maybe leave your dog at home. Um, but uh, it, it'll be great. It'll be a great Sunday that day. We're asking you to bring a side dish. We'll handle all the dogs and burgers and all that kinds of stuff. And uh, we're looking forward to it. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come and take up our morning tithes and offerings. Um, there's also two giving boxes in the fellowship hall. Or you can use windoverhills.org if that's uh, most convenient and uh, give that way. So why don't you stand up, though, while they're coming. And we'll invite the praise team to lead us singing one more. <laughs> 